Hi, welcome everybody. It's uh, Terry Doherty from WP Radio. It's the Out and About podcast. Uh, we're now just into 2021. I want to thank everybody for a great season with 2020. I know it's been a tough year for everybody with COVID and all those things that have gone on in the pandemic and shutting down and just it's really been a tough year and I, you know, I'm glad everyone's making it through it. Um, this is one of the final episodes from uh, WP Radio Live from last year's broadcast. I wanted to get it out. Um, I want to get it out actually last year, but with there just was so many podcasts that we did uh, that we're getting it out now and uh, just kind of finalize uh, the last podcast with uh, WP Radio Live for the Out and About podcast. So guys, sit back, enjoy this podcast, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you guys again uh, later on this year. So on today's episode of uh, WP Radio Live, I've got Marie Gallagher of Canterham Justers, former president as well of the OIAA. So it was a great pleasure to sit down and relax and talk with her at the claims conference. Really great interview. I enjoy talking to Marie. She's so insightful, has lots of knowledge. You ever get a chance, just spend a few minutes and talk with her. I think you'll really enjoy it as I did. Terry Doherty, we're live with WP Radio. We're at the Metro Convention Center. Uh, it's the 2020 Claims Conference. And I've got Marie Gallagher, uh, former president of the OIAA, and uh, Kernahan Adjuster. Uh, Marie, you are the last person I get to speak to today, and I guess we saved the best for saved last. the best for last. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> so, uh, Marie, uh, what are we going to talk about today? I, I, you know, you've got such a wealth of information and knowledge and just been in the industry for so long. Um, what gives me the pleasure of getting to talk to you today? What do you want to talk about? What's near and dear to your heart? Well, what's near and dear to my heart is I think that is our youth down there uh, gathering for a photograph. Uh, and I had the privilege of being on the OAA executive. Um, just uh, came in shortly after this idea of a career fair, job fair for the students uh, in which the OAA would bring these students in from the various colleges and it's expanded since then. Um, to give them a little bit of a taste of what, uh, you know, what our life is like uh, as uh, insurance adjusters and also give them the opportunity uh, after having graduated in their second year um, at Mohawk, Durham, Fanshawe, whatever, Seneca, um, give them the opportunity to meet uh, some of the people that are hiring um, and give them the resumes and uh, I think uh, it's just grown so much since that time. Uh, I happen to be uh, one of the 350 volunteers uh, with the Insurance Institute of Canada uh, in the ambassador program. And uh, I know some of my fellow OA colleagues are as well. Something that gives me great passion. And the reason is, Terry, because this, um, this industry has been so good for me. It's given me a great lifestyle and a, an opportunity to grow over the years, having started 38 years ago uh, as a telephone adjuster. And never in my wildest dreams did I ever anticipate or plan to become president of the Ontario Insurance Adjusters. Or, or a few years after that, that was 06, 07, and later on president of the Canadian Independent Insurance Adjusters Association. But it's not so much that, it's the fact that... Um, you don't have to go to that length to become uh, to to have gratitude and um, um, you know growth uh, in your career. Um, it's something that any of the youth that are coming in today, I tell them, it's a, a it's a career that the doors are wide open for them, 
um, from when the OIA started that career fair to today, things have changed. And it's my understanding through the demographics that the Insurance Institute has gathered over the years, and that's the drive for this, this uh, ambassador program, is that about uh, 25,000 people will be retiring within the next five years. So for our youth, the door is wide open for them to come in. Also, it's a recession-proof job, as you know. Yes. As the recession gets bigger, our claims get bigger as well. So it could, I mean, potentially. Yeah, yeah. So people that maybe it's not within them to commit arson, maybe it's opportunistic sure. in hard times. Yeah, so yeah. Whether you're an insurance adjuster, a broker, an actuary, there's always career opportunities in the industry because it's recession-proof. It's also a career that um, I know that in 1968, the OAA, which started in the 30s, uh, had a vote with their members uh, to determine whether they should allow females in. Oh, I didn't to, know that. You didn't know that. Well, now you do. Uh, whether they should allow a female adjusters into the association, and it was actually voted against. Wow, so it really? Wasn't, yeah, so it wasn't until 1972 that the first female adjuster was allowed to become a member of the OAA. Do we know who that is? I'm not sure who the first member was, but of course we have um, Marg is our first female yeah. president, and we're very fortunate every year at past president's night to have her uh, attend continually attend the event, and it's always noted that she's our first female president. So, uh, the, the having the students here today, and I just had Simone and Kyle on from uh, the executive to discuss the uh, job fair and the Good. student fair, um, and we had five colleges here this year. We had uh, over 150 students, and uh, we had a whole panel with a whole scenario this year of how we're doing things. And Simone being president next year, she's gonna switch it up a little bit and wanted to keep that secret. Oh. But I mean, there's, there's just so much excitement. I was so happy to see the lineup at the door at two o'clock to see these kids. They're not all kids, actually. There's people in their second career and second. True enough, yeah, right? job changes. Job changes, right, and life changes. Um, excited to go in and talk to 14 different industry insurers mm -hmm. um, and give out resumes. I didn't even know they were doing that. So it was like mm -hmm. they were doing the second step. They were basically interviewing themselves or giving a little bit of a pitch and then speaking to the company and giving a resume right then and there. I mean, that's wonderful. I mean, that's great. And the fact that we can help facilitate that, yes. I think, is wonderful as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's upon them, take it upon themselves to actually go and do that next step. But, man, we really set them up for success here today. And, and, I that's, think and that's why I say it's grown, and I see you've mentioned Simone has some ideas for change for next year, but, you know, it was a brainstorm of some of the uh, OA members at the time. It was initiated, it started as a very small job fair, and then eventually it grew to offering the students, and we, you know, the OA will bring them in by bus, pay for the bus, and um, uh, then it gradually, um, you know, evolved into offering some um, seminars for them, as you mentioned. Um, I know at one point it was uh, even on resume making and that sort of thing. Um, but they're probably more savvy at that than we are these days, yeah, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, what, what I really loved with this was the fact that we had um, just the ability for these students to be here. I mean, that's just wonderful. And, you know, I, 
the youth uh, is, I, I met an incredible young man yesterday uh, who's working for Intact and uh, he was 22 and he impressed me so much and I said, you're gonna go places in this industry. He's passionate about it as I am. And um, again, I say it's because it's given me a great life and the opportunities to, if you want it, it's there for you. Uh, any company that you're, you're hired by, your further education is paid for by that company. Um, so if you want to go on and get a CIP, an FCIP, a CRM, an MBA, leadership, executive leadership uh, courses, your company will pay for it. And I don't think there's too many industries that do that. No, and it's great. I mean, I had Mike Botton on here this morning. He's a delegate from uh, Sudbury with the OIAA, and he's talking. They're putting on uh, the CFEI course mm, uh, this yep. year. I mean, and they're looking for at least 20 students mm -hmm. to go up and write to become yep. a certified fire and explosions investigator. I mean, and they're going to help people with that. And I mean, that opportunity doesn't come around very often. And the fact that we're doing this again and facilitating these things for, for people that want to get it and advance in their career, it's wonderful. Yeah, and like you said, too, it, we have to remember there's people that are moving to Canada from other countries. They're very qualified. Um, they may be a doctor or, uh, you know, something um, along those lines, but they, they may not be able to transfer that um, into a career in, here in Canada, but they can use those skills to transfer into our industry. And I know, um, particularly when I go to some of the career fairs, uh, one in particular reminds me back to McMaster, and they see um, a banner, you know, the students are walking through and they see the banner insurance. And there's also chiropractor or, um, you know, something sexy, police officer, fireman, whatever. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah municipal something anyways um and people will just kind of look at it and keep walking like Ew. and yeah. i'll grab them and i'll say come on in i want to talk to you and no 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 i'm in hr no 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 i'm in math no no i'm, I'm in engineering yeah and i'll say every one of those people we use in this industry well yeah i met a guy today <laughs> named ruben uh was a doctor in his home country, El Salvador. He's here now. He's redoing, I Good. guess, he's, he's looking to get in the insurance industry. Oh, he's right there. Um, and I don't know what he's going to be doing in the insurance industry, but, I mean, his former career, he's a doctor, right? Yeah. He's a doctor of medicine. So yeah. maybe he's going to be a Cairo. Maybe he's going to be something on uh, in one of our rehab firms. Who knows? Yeah. But, I mean, he's not a young man by any means. Ruben, how old are you? 50, right? Analyzing bodily injury reports. Yeah, reinventing uh, himself reports. at 50 yeah. in the insurance industry. What yeah. a wonderful opportunity yeah. for both of us. We're getting a person that was a doctor and joining the insurance industry. That's great. That's good for everybody. But, you know, that man, that young man that I spoke to that liked the HR girl, liked the, you know, um, IT person, the accountant, the forensic accountant, uh, that young man that was in math, by the time I finished chatting with him, he said, I am so glad I talked to you because like you and me, people still don't grow up thinking, when I grow up, I want to be an in insurance, insurance right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, most of us, they, we go into it by accident, and that's the purpose of this, this ambassador program is to bring awareness, and that's what we're doing here at the OAA today and in all the past years, we're, we're helping the students become aware of an industry that it's, it's not something that's apparent to everyone. 
And we no. have fun. It's a great industry. It's an amazing industry, and it's done amazing for me. I mean, my kids have grown up in it. My wife was in the insurance industry for 30 years. She's gone on to do other things in her second career. But, I mean, um, it's just it's a wonderful industry. I just everything about it is incredible. I mean, who thinks that they're going to be an insurance investigator or an adjuster or whatever? Nobody thinks about that, right? You grow no. up, you want to be a fireman, a, no. a mailman, a doctor, whatever, a garbage man, whatever you want to be. But nobody ever says, I want to be an insurance. No, unless their parents are unless in insurance. Unless their parents yes. are in it, right? And I mean, and that's, you know, both my kids have now worked in the insurance industry. Yeah, and I have, um, you know, uh, we talk about career changers. I have a brother-in-law who worked with his dad uh, for many years um, with the idea he'd eventually take over his dad's auto body shop. He was a mechanic. And uh, at the age of 40, he, his dad wasn't w willing to relinquish the reins. So he came into our industry. And he's an independent adjuster. And my son-in-law worked in the manufacturing uh, industry and um, making uh, socks on the knitting machines. His father did the same thing in England. And he came over to Canada and did the same thing here. And eventually, it was becoming obsolete. Everything was going to China. So he said to my daughter, what does your mom and stepfather do? Seems like they have kind of an interesting life. He's an adjuster now. And my sister as well. She's like, okay, I will type for you while I'm in university, but I'm not going to spend the rest of my life in an office. And she owns her own adjusting firm. Yeah, so it's crazy. It's wonderful. It, it, it's, a, it's contagious because I think what people look and they see, we do, we do work hard and we're proud of what we do, helping people. Um, but it's a good career. And that's why I'm so passionate about bringing this message to our youth. Absolutely, and I don't think they understand it either. That's the other thing. No. Like, I didn't understand what insurance was. It was just that oh, evil thing that took a lot of money from uh, me every absolutely. year. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, it's wonderful. I'm glad we had a chance to talk, Marie. It's uh, wonderful to see you, and uh, I wish you all the best. Well, and we you, will Terry. talk soon. Thanks and, for the uh, opportunity. Yeah, thanks again, and uh, have a great day. And now please enjoy the uh, interview I did with uh, Brad St. Croix of Rimkiss. So another great interview. This will be the final one for 2020, guys. We'll talk to you again in 2021. All right, uh, it's Terry Doherty. We're live at the uh, Claims Conference here at uh, the Metro Convention Center. And I've got Brad St. Croix of um, Rimkiss. And it's the official title here is uh, Rimkiss Consulting Group Canada, Inc. So thank you very much, Brad, for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Terry, for inviting me. I appreciate it. Um, Brad, uh, before we get talking about Rimkiss, and I've got some questions for you, let me let me know a little bit about you. Tell me about Brad. Where did you come from? How did you end up at Rimkiss? What's your background? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Um, the long and short of it, Terry, is I worked in local law enforcement for about 27 years in the Toronto area. I got to practice in many different fields and disciplines in law enforcement. That led me into my last several years into the field of collision reconstruction. Collision reconstruction is basically the art or science of determining what happened and how it happened in a collision from the physical evidence after a collision. That then led me upon my retirement into working with an engineering consulting firm such as Rimkus. So that brought me into this field and part of why I'm here today. So with all my experience, my qualifications, and now getting in engineering, now I'm looking for new ways to advance collision reconstruction. And that's why when you and I spoke not too long ago, I taught you about something that we're starting to delve into a little bit more in using drones or unmanned air vehicles for collision reconstruction. Yeah, and I find, I, I find all innovation and technology incredible because it's moving at 
the rate of speed. I just, I, it's just flying past us. And, uh, you know, what we think is new and great today, it's obsolete tomorrow. Yes, absolutely. Um, just even in the last five to eight years, the advances that we've had in some of the technology, computer programs, uh, the crash data retrieval, or what everybody calls a black box, uh, the advances in it and the requirements in law that have assisted us greatly in the collision and construction field are moving at lightning speed. Now, the use of a drone is going to change the actual scene investigation probably at the same pace. Wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. Now, you said you were in local law enforcement, so I'm going to assume it's one of the local police forces. Don't need to say who it was, but that's great. Um, I'm assuming you became an um, accident reconstructionist then. Yes, I was a qualified collision reconstructionist with the police service, and I then worked within that dedicated squad as a collision reconstruction expert for approximately six years prior to my retirement. Um, and I've had the opportunity then to testify at various levels of court, obtain my expert qualification in those courts, and then I bring that qualification to my field in the engineering consulting now. Now, uh, with that, I'm assuming in, when you were in the police uh, service, you used Total Station and those kind of things. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's still used by engineering firms such as myself in some instances today. And uh, I'm sure you remember the old drag sleds. I used a drag sled one too many times in my life. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, me too. Uh, the old fishing springs and drag sled and looking for that coefficient of friction on the roadway. Weigh it before and weigh it after. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yes, sir. Um, so let's, let's talk about what we're here to talk about today, and that's unmanned aircraft, the drones, right? Yes. So tell me what got you interested in drones. I, and we'll talk technically, but what, what made you think that drones would be a good kind of um, next step when looking at accidents. Why, why that? Why a drone? What gives you the, what does the drone do for us? Okay, so initially it was, I was involved in them recreationally. I utilized one just for enjoyment. And what it is is essentially a flying camera. And you started looking at it in a little bit more detail and thinking what other things could this possibly be used for? Um, the cameras got better and better. They started out at only one megapixel. If you were 30 feet away from an image, you couldn't see what it was. There was no detail. Um, the unit that I brought with me today is a Mavic Pro by DJI, and it has a 20 megapixel camera. From about 100 feet off the ground, you can see a dime reasonably clear. You can then use that in software to create measurements, 3D models, and so on. So I started thinking just to myself as a recreational user that this was going to be something that would be a huge advantage in my field. And then certain other police agencies started buying some of the more advanced, more expensive drones and using them or starting to use them in the field of collision reconstruction in my last year or two while still employed. So I saw the advantages directly. Um, first and foremost is safety. In any collision reconstruction that we do, you're almost always out on a roadway. Um, it would be very nice if they were all in private parking lots and we could shut them all down safely, but it doesn't happen. So you put a drone up over a roadway and you don't have to worry about a person being on the roadway, carrying a total station and a prison pole and walking around at 2 a.m. on a dark, poorly lit road with a lot of drivers who probably aren't paying the most attention. Sorry, before we even get there, what is, 
for those people that have been living under a rock or, you know, just have no idea, what is a drone? I know what a drone is. You know what a drone is. But for those people, let's kind of get back to the basics. What's a drone? So for all those people that's, out there. That's a great idea. Thank you. And it is probably better to cover it first. A drone is a common term that everybody relates to. It's referred to as a UAS, is an unmanned air system. A UAV is an unmanned air vehicle. And the Canadian term is REPAS, R-P-A-S, as a remotely piloted air system. So that's technically what I have then taken a course to become a licensed operator of. Um, the common form that we use in Canada and most of the world are quadcopters. So that means they have four propellers, which cape, uh, make an uh, aircraft system capable of being stable and controlled in all three axes. So it can control for pitch, yaw, and rotation, which makes it very useful when you're flying over top of a roadway because you can turn that aircraft in every direction to capture images that you want. Um, they started out as recreational, they started out as toys, and so on, and they've been advanced into really, really complex computer-controlled devices. This device, which I use now, is capable of traveling at up to 72 kilometers per hour. It links up to over 20 satellites and maintains itself by GPS on its course. So if I simply release all controls, it will hover in one spot as long as it has power. So it makes it very easy to use and they're very advanced. So user-friendly. Very user-friendly now. And I'm sure we may talk about this later, but actually, you know what? We will talk about it later. Let's talk about the rules and regulations because I know a lot has changed with the use of drones being in airspaces and stuff. So I'm sure there's rules and regulations in Canada that are going to apply. And let's talk about that and then how RIMCAS complies with those rules because I'm sure you guys must have, you know, I, I think there's flight plans that have to be done and all sorts of stuff now. So let's talk about that. As a, a layperson, we don't know much about that. We'd buy the drone, put it up in the air, and probably run it into a tree. But let's talk about what the rules and regulations are around piloting a drone and how you guys comply with that and what, what needs to be done. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so June 1st of 2019, the Canadian government, through its agency Transport Canada, changed and implemented a large number of rules and regulations. Um, what they did is essentially they took the unlicensed, untrained user out of the air. Up until June 1st of 2019, anybody could simply fly a drone in Canadian airspace. And there were no rules or regulations about it. It was the Wild West. On June the 1st, every person who operates a drone in Canadian airspace must have a license. So you must have either a basic operator's or an advanced operator's certificate. They allow you to do different things, where you're allowed to fly, when you're allowed to fly, and whether or not you're allowed to fly within proximity of buildings or people, etc. So the course and training which I took part in qualified me for, after writing my exam and doing a practical exam with a drone in the air, I qualified for the advanced operator certificate. That allows me to fly in proximity to buildings and people and in controlled airspace with consent. What that means is before every flight, you have to create a flight plan. If you're in controlled airspace, you have to seek permission from that controlled airspace operator. 
I'll use Toronto Airport because we're in Toronto right now. If I wish to fly at Avenue Road and Bloor today to Mapasine, I have to complete a flight plan. I have to send it to Transportation Canada and I have to send it to Pearson International Airport. I have to receive permission from both of those agencies before I'm legally entitled to launch the drone in that area. And is that at any height? So that is at any height, but we are also restricted. A drone in Canada is restricted at flying no greater than 400 feet off of the ground or above a structure. So if you're flying over a building, you can be 400 feet over it. Wow, okay. So we're looking at a house. So say we're looking at a house that's got a house fire. The roof is kind of taken out. You want to get up and see it from a top perspective down without you know, putting anybody's life in jeopardy. So you put a drone above the building. You're allowed to go 400 feet above that top of that building then? That is correct. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. That's good. That's good to know. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and uh, where would you even apply to get a drone license? Is that something that, you know, you find on the Internet or so, is there pilot schools? Yes, there are several pilot oh, schools. Just being um, smart, actually. Yep, no, okay. uh, you're completely right. <laughs> and strangely enough, I will tell you, it was a three-day course that I took part in. The exam is an hour and a half exam online, and it covers meteorology, navigation, charts, weathers, notice to airmen. It is a very minor pilot's license in order to operate a drone. Oh, that's interesting. And that's the advanced one. I'm assuming the basic one's not going to be as in-depth? Not as in-depth. However, it does entail a little bit of each of those components. Um, the prerequisites and the course material is all available on the internet. You're not required to attend one of the schools. The schools simply guide you and provide you a hands-on experience of what is necessary to understand how to fly. Now, um, with that, do the drone, uh, the I'm assuming the basic and the advanced are totally different, right? You can't fly at the same heights. You can't, do you still have to file a flight plan as well? When you're a basic? Uh, so you're not allowed to fly, uh, fly a basic in controlled airspace. So there is not necessary to file, what, sorry, file a flight plan each time. If you're flying in a controlled airspace with consent, then you would still have to. Oh, okay. But the basic guy's just flying in his backyard anyway, for the most part. Correct. That or, or his a neighbor's public backyard. park or such. Yeah. All right. Well, tell us about how drones are used forensically. Like, you, you talk about now this has changed things for you. How does it change things for you when you're dealing with an MBA, a property claim, those kind of things? How how's the use of the drone changed? Awesome. So the, the, the first place it's changed the most, I touched on briefly earlier, is safety. Um, and you alluded it to at one point just a moment ago. You said if we had a roof claim on a home and we wanted to get an inspection, we no longer have to send somebody out on a ladder or on a scissor jack and get to an elevation of 30 feet above ground and hope they have enough clearance to get decent photographs. We can now put a drone up in the air. We can fly a nice clear distance above that structure and we can take excellent quality videos. We can take fantastic photographs of that and we can be 100 feet above it or we can be 20 feet above it because we can come in close proximity to get better detail as well. So safety is probably number one, and that was a specific illustration on a property claim. My direct field of expertise was collisions and motor vehicles, and just not having to be on a roadway is a huge advantage to me. Now, is the real-time imaging sent back to you that you can actually see what you're looking at for those people that don't know? 
Yes. Um, so in order to pilot a, a drone, you will have a remote control and you will have a visual screen. And the screen captures the image on the camera. So whatever you're seeing in your camera is what you're actually capturing. So you can focus on the items you need. For example, going back to our roof examination or inspection, if you thought it was a shingle claim where shingles had come off and created water damage, we can certainly fly over the entire roof and inspect the entire roof. We can then get to the area where there is some damage, if any, were existing. And then we can zoom in or get closer to the actual location of the damage specifically. Similarly, going back to a motor vehicle accident, we could have a 200 meter long collision scene and we can take an overall image from above and we can then come down and do segmented sections in much more detail. So these multi-vehicle accidents on the 401 where it's just a, a pileup, great example of a use of a drone then? Like, kind of walk me through what you would do at an MVA. Okay, so absolutely, that you're completely right. If a scene was 500 meters long of the 401 and the road is now closed, in traditional setup, we had to put out four or five police officers, perhaps with two total stations, and you could be out eight to 10 hours to map that. What we do now when we put up a drone is the drone goes up to a preset height. I personally like 30 meters or about 100 feet. And then it will go out and it will run a pre-planned route in order to capture images which it can overlap to create a perfect two-dimensional overview of the scene for that entire 1,000 meters. The biggest advantage for us, aside from safety, is the drone doesn't discriminate at all. The drone captures everything below it. In traditional mapping, a police officer would walk along and would put a prism pole at each piece of evidence, or what they thought was evidence. If they didn't think something was evidence, they often wouldn't map it. Later on in their investigation, they see a photograph of something and determine, I think that's evidence. You may not have the appropriate measurement for that piece of evidence. In a drone, all of the images together will capture that evidence and can then be mapped with distances, elevations, and so on at a later date. So when you're doing the drone, when the drone is flying overhead, is it taking video? Is it taking photos? Is it, like, what is it actually doing? Is it just recording measurements and heights? Um, can you take us through that so we get a little bit more? I know it's a little technical, but, you know, so people understand when they're contacting you and Rimkiss to have you go out and see something and they want some video and photos, is that all done at the same time or does it have to be done as an overlap? Like you have to go and do three or four runs to get everything you need. So, no, simply it does it simultaneously. What it records is video at a high frame rate. And then it segregates those frames down to individual images, creating multiple photos. That way it can stitch everything together to give you a detailed image or one specific image if an insurance adjuster wanted. For example, if their vehicle was the third vehicle in line and they wanted to see its specific damage, they could take one specific image out of the stream of their vehicle. However, they would still have all of the footage of the entire scene available to them. So they can look at front and back, side images, everything that they need specific to their one vehicle and then the group of 50. We'll just call it 50. Yes, that's correct. And then they could move ahead and find out they've got vehicle 17 and 32, and you can literally go through that and capture those images as well. Yes, correct. It will have recorded each individual image all as one stream, 
and as I said, it would be able to segregate individual photos. And what about thermal imaging? Does, does that ever come into play in the drones? So thermal imaging is something that I am just starting to get into myself. Oh, fantastic. Um, it wasn't something that we were touching upon in motor vehicle collisions because it rarely was involved or rarely was a factor. Um, however, now that I'm touching on property damage, water assessment claims, fire damage, etc., um, thermal imaging is an, another up-and-coming technology which will be utilized more regularly at our level. The next drone that I'm actually trying to consider purchasing with our company has a thermal imaging camera built into it. As well, our most advanced drone that the company currently owns does have a thermal imaging camera attachment, a separate device. So they are readily available right now, and they capture temperatures, which is fantastic for moisture, for fire and heat transfer or otherwise. So when we were looking at like a heat loss on a building, you could literally put a drone in the air, have it do the perimeter of the building, and then go up to the roof space and do the same, and look at heat loss in certain areas within a building or a building envelope then. Yes, absolutely. It is a, the thermal imaging camera is very similar to a FLIR, most people will understand or relate to, where you've seen a thermal image where it is very red or yellow in color for very hot, or blue or black for a cold image. So it is very similar to that. Okay. And, uh, and again, is it, it, that thermal image, is it captured in a full video where you can actually cut and paste or cut and capture the certain images you're looking for? So if you determine, hey, you know, the, the, the house is pretty green all the way around, so it's got some constant, and then you've got uh, a really red area or a really blue area, you can break that out. That is correct. So very similar to what we said in the collision reconstruction photos and video, the camera records the video and images at the same time as the thermal imaging camera is capturing its images. So you have both sets of data available to you. Oh, so it's thermal and photography at the same time. Correct. Or video. It's, it's actually called a, um, a dual. So it's a Mavic 2 dual, which has two cameras, one for optical images and one for thermal. And that's something Rimkiss currently provides. So we have it currently at our parent company within the U.S., and that equipment is available to me. However, Rimkiss Canada is considering purchasing the same device right now. So talk to me about um, using a drone where you think it's the only feasible area um, to do your investigation. Where do you think that would be? Like, um, you know, kind of take me through... You know, you get assigned to a loss and you think, oh, i got to use a drone because that's the only thing that's going to work. Tell me about that. Yep, absolutely. Um, I've got a fantastic example of that, Terry. All right. Um, it's, it's something that a drone is akin to is heights. So anything that involves heights is probably the easiest to illustrate the use of a drone. And a case that I can give you an example for without getting into specifics of a client or otherwise is there was a claim for damage or structure to a silo. The silo was over 150 feet tall above ground. And the insurance company received a claim for roof and structure damage. They sent out an engineering team and an inspection team. They utilized a scissor jack. A scissor jack essentially was able to get to them about 30 to 35 feet off of ground. And they took some still images from that point the insurance adjuster came up with a solution for their client. The client was not satisfied, said that there was far more extensive damage and wanted significantly larger settlement. The insurance company and the adjuster reached out to Rimkus 
and asked us if it was something that we could do with a drone. And I couldn't hesitate to say I was excited because yes, at 150 feet off ground, checking for roof and structure damage is exactly what this device is meant for. So I prepared a quote for the insurance adjuster. He contacted his client and indicated that he intended to send a drone out to get excellent still and video of the structure at 150 feet off ground. And the client determined that the initial offering by the insurance adjuster was more than enough for him and that he would settle and that there was no need to go any further. Oh, I was not expecting that answer. So, uh, okay, well, that's interesting. So certainly height, um, roof, structures, bridges, all fantastic places where we could utilize them because of their height, their nature of um, falls or injury or otherwise, or inaccessibility period by other than air. Well, I never thought about that. So bridge, so you're talking about even a, a passover bridge, you can get the drone underneath the bridge and look at the structural significant or structural defects or issues from the underside. Correct. You could fly around it in every direction necessary. Wow, that's wonderful. I just totally gapped on that until you said it. So, okay, well, that's great. Um, I've got one more question for you here. In the terms, uh, you know, in terms of cost, how would you use a drone service? Like, what do you think the, the costing of a drone is compared to a regular person going out on a scene? Do you think it saves using a drone? Like, let's talk about costing. What's it cost to have a drone and you go out and do a, a scene? Okay, um, so... Obviously, I, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint an exact price on any uh, job until we could see what was required. It's going to vary job to job by what is required. But the simple analysis to determine whether or not it's cost effective is that, and I'll use a motor vehicle collision because it's my area of expertise. If you went to a motor vehicle accident scene and you had a total station and you had two minimum likely three personnel to attend in order to be safe, in order to capture the evidence, in order to seize and record anything that is required. You're gonna have three people, a total station, and multiple hours. Um, I would tell you that most scenes I went to over my years were in a four to eight hour time frame on scene investigation. Cutting to the use of a drone, you can send one operator out to a scene with a drone. You do not have to have safety and everything closed down completely. You can put the drone up over it, and in a matter of 20 minutes to one hour, you can capture about 400 feet of scene in full detail. So most scenes are under 400 feet. Some are, are greater. If you were onto a highway, for example, we set a 500-meter scene earlier but you might be into an hour and a half or two hours of drone use where you would then be into 12 to 16 hours of people hours. Manpower hours are essentially expensive. Yeah, and, and I think with the drone use, you can be in your car and doing this, right? You're literally sitting in your own safety off the side of the road. You're not out with cars zipping by. Um, I mean, is, is that, I mean, that's what you're talking about from the safety perspective, right? Correct, yes. Um, so I don't physically sit in my car. You, the rules say that you do have to have it in complete line of sight at all times. So, but standing on the shoulder or off of the roadway, um, safe of traffic and so on, and that's why I love the safety feature of the drone, is nobody has to be in the path of traffic. Um, and you can have that up and operating. 
the batteries that come on these will run for approximately 30 minutes at a time. We carry four batteries with us. We can run two hours consistently, but even while we're working, they can be recharging. So we can consistently just constantly record and record where you put out three people, two to three hours later, they need breaks. Yeah, they're spent. They need some time to downtime, yep. um, record their data. Correct. Right? I mean, you're recording constant data. I'm sure the... Um, the card in there, the SD card, or whatever it is. I'm not even sure what's in there. But whatever the recording device in there, maybe it's built-in memory, is simply downloadable and then put back up again. Correct. So, and just to speak to that, it is a micro SD card. There is a minimal amount of built-in memory, but uh, the micro SD card is, you know, whatever size you want to put into it. Uh, I currently use a 128 gigabyte card, which will capture multiple scenes on that. And it is later downloadable and storable as digital files. So drones have really changed how you're doing scenes. Dramatically. Be it, be it property, be it auto, be it silo claims. Yes, dramatically. Much easier, much more detailed, much safer. And better images. And better, much better images. The cameras now are incredible. As I indicated, this unit is a 20 megapixel camera and will record video at 4K. Wow, okay. I don't even have a 4K TV yet, so... All right, so um, Brad, how do they reach you and how do they reach the people at Rimkiss? Like if they wanted to get in touch with you specifically for this type of uh, assignment, how do they reach you? So Rimkiss has an office in Toronto. That's where I work out of. Yep. So you can reach us at our main office number, which is a Toronto telephone number at 416-777-8090. I have a personal cell phone. If anybody wants to call me in regards to this from the insurance industry, I'd be happy to field their calls at 647-223-6774. And I also have an email address at Rimkis, and that's B-S-T-E-C-R-O-I-X at Rimkis.com. Rimkis is R-I-M-K-U-S. And Rimkis does lots of different types of engineering, but today we're just talking about drones, right? That's correct. That's your, that's your new... That's your new passion, I'm assuming. That is my new passion, yes. Um, just by way of uh, touching on that, Rimkus is a large U.S. corporation which has developed into Canada in about the last four years and into London, England. Um, we have over 60 offices in the U.S. and over 400 engineering experts. So if there's something that's required that might have an engineering or forensic background, Rimkus can very likely help you out or find the appropriate people to do so. Excellent. Well, we appreciate that. We do have claims in Canada and in the U.S., and I'm sure there's adjusters that are dealing with stuff over in Europe. So we thank you for being on the podcast today. I enjoy, uh, enjoy learning about new technology, and uh, hopefully people will reach out to you, and we appreciate uh, Rimkiss being a sponsor and uh, being on the podcast. Excellent. Thank you, Terry. I really had a great time being here. Thank you.